So I say God at work is what we titled this, um, this series in Galatians. The reason why I titled it that, twofold. One, it's a little bit relevant. We have seen these signs all over town for a long time, right? Men at work, people at work, watch out, road work ahead, and to ad nauseum. And um, there's a lot of work going on because there was a lot of damage. And uh, as I was reading in Galatians, I was struck by this, that in our lives, it's not just in culture, but uh, like in our society or infrastructure that's been at work. In our culture, there's been a lot of work going on in people's lives and families. We've been rebuilding our homes but it's been exhausting. I don't know if you guys feel exhausted. I bet, in fact, I'm pretty confident that as a congregation, we feel pretty exhausted. Because we as a community, we feel pretty exhausted, right? Right after the flood hit, we were, we were out there. We were building roads and helping our neighbors muck out their basements. And, man, we were just in it. And we were alongside our neighbors in this. But we, we come to the end of July, almost a year later, and you, you just talk to people and they're like, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. <laughs> I don't want to do anymore. And, and, you know, we've seen this in the church. We try to do work, work projects, and people are like, no, thank you. <laughs> right? I get it. Because I feel the same way, you know. Uh, there's just, we have been serving and serving and serving, and life has this thing where there's this stretch and release, you know, that God, like when you exercise, you work, but then you grow stronger in the times that you rest between it. If you rest too long, then you get weak, but there's this treacherous. In our work week, right, God gave us six days to work and one day to rest, so that way that's just the flow of life. And Man, we've been stretched, and we've been working as a culture, not just rebuilding our infrastructure, but rebuilding, in a lot of cases, our lives. I mean, when, when your schedule was full, and now you've got to rebuild your business or rebuild your home or both, or to help family members go through difficult times and all the stresses that puts in there, that, that takes a lot of effort. And, and as people, I think that we're just exhausted. You know, we, we've tapped our resources. And when I open up Galatians, in this powerful book of Galatians, I don't see a men at work sign at all. In fact, if there was a sign that you're going to hang out in front of Galatians, it would be God at work. Isn't that refreshing? I mean, this is a message of what God has done, has done, and is doing in you, and in me, and in the church. This is a story of of God doing it, not me. And so our faith, oftentimes we come to church and we think about it's it's all about what I do. I do. I got to go to church. I got to be involved in these things. I got to do this stuff. I got to be exercising my gifts in order to, so that God will be pleased with me, so that God will do these things for me, or He'll like me, or whatever our motivation is. And Galatians looks at that and says, you know what? God is going to use you, right? God's going to empower you. He's going to free you. He's going to do some amazing things in you. But let's not let's not lose sight of the fact of the one who's really doing the work here. It's God. This is the most freeing message. In fact, there are times that, uh, throughout uh, um, history or, or church history, the, uh, the book of Galatians has gotten all kinds of wonderful names that people have called it. The, uh, the um, Emancipation <laughs> Proclamation is what it's called. The Freedom from Slavery as Christians. It's been called the, the Magna Carta of Christian Freedom. <laughs> it's been called the Declaration of Liberty. 
uh, for Christianity. It's a powerful book. In fact, it's not just powerful and, and, uh, and just for us in our own lives. This particular book has changed the course of human history. And it shouldn't surprise us, it's the Word of God. But uh, a couple hundred years ago, there was a priest, uh, Martin Luther, who was reading Galatians. And a uh, wonderful, faithful man. And he was going to write, uh, sit down and write a commentary on it. And as he was working his way through writing the commentary on Galatians, he discovered that his practice of faith at that point, the way that religion had, had been taken over, the Christian expression of faith, he realized that what he was teaching as a priest was a salvation by works, a men at work sign. And it troubled him, and it began that, to, that spark in Martin Luther where he began to say, no, it's not about work, it's about faith, it's about God, it's about what he has done. Now think about how much human history has been changed because of that. But you know what? The reformation that, that started in Martin Luther's heart continues today in our own hearts. It's a reformation of the soul that Galatians brings to us. A freedom from the bondage of the way that we always thought things were. right? The way that, that humans, just in our own design, our own pride, how we try to connect to God. right? How we try to be good by what we do, by being busy and at work at doing good things. And Galatians says, no. It's about grace, it's about God, it's about Him doing work in you. It's a reformation that frees us. It's the most incredible message. So I'm excited to share it with you. Today we're going to be going, starting with um, Galatians uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because a lot, but I'll get you bits of it as we go through our points. First thing that I found in this passage is that the gospel of Jesus is from God. That's what Paul talks about as he begins. I mean, that's really the, the, the why he begins to preach this message. And I'm going to give you some history as to why he would make this point that the gospel of Jesus is from God himself. See, Paul, a uh, great missionary, right, uh, was a, uh, a very educated uh, religious man, right, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and, and he was... Uh, very zealous for the Jewish faith and for the truth of that faith. And he didn't understand that Jesus was Messiah early on. And so he thought that in righteousness that he was squashing a false Messiah and keeping the faith pure. And he took that to an extreme, to the point that as Christianity grew around Jerusalem, he began to imprison and interrogate and, and torture and even murder. There were Christians that, that he would murder and had this reign of terror. Now, he thought he was doing that to keep the faith pure. Obviously, he was working against God, and, but he didn't know that. He was deceived. And he was doing such a great job at this. As Christianity, as he, as he did that, uh, Christians left Jerusalem because they were afraid. Duh. And they went up to surrounding towns. And guess what happened? Christianity started to grow in those other towns. So even unintentionally, at the very beginning, he was a very good evangelist. Right? <laughs> and so Christianity started growing our whole region. And, and so they say, well, Paul, you're really good at creating terror in Jerusalem. Why don't you go up to Damascus, the next biggest town that also Christianity is growing there? Now, people who had lived under his reign of terror in Jerusalem now saw that he was coming to Damascus. I'm sure they were nervous. Right? 
And Paul is heading up there to Damascus, and God knocks him off his donkey, blinds him, and says, guess what? You've been fighting on the wrong side. And it changes. His name was Saul before, and then we know him as Paul now, but he's the same guy. And, but God changed him from the inside out. And God trained him over, you know, at, I mean, at the, the feet of Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, learned about the gospel from God himself. Now, that's a pretty good teaching, right? I mean, he had some good instruction. And it was the other apostles, you know, they learned from Jesus before he died. Then they saw him come back and they got to walk with him for like 40 days, right? But Paul studied the scripture, man, he knew it. And when Jesus comes back and shows him, says, hey, this is what it talks about me. He's like, oh, Wow. And the word of God becomes alive in him and he understands and he becomes this great evangelist. Now he goes and does these missionary journeys and he brings believers to faith all over the known world, right? In his first missionary journey, he goes all the way up through like where we would think like Turkey and, uh, you know, and, and over into Greece and he comes back. And in that area is what's known as Galatia, right? And um, it was kind of a, um, not, it was like a more political kind of, of region that was called Galatia. It was, they were, uh, before the Romans came in, it was um, owned by the Gauls, so Galatians. And so there's all these different people groups that were up there. They're basically Celts that got uh, displaced and they got moved down in there. And so there's Iconium and there's uh, Derby and all these other uh, cities that, that you read in Acts 13, 14, and 15, where Paul goes through that region and he builds the church. And as he goes through and he's telling these people, listen, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? That, that you are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as God and Messiah. And, and he went to the synagogues and he preached this and, and then he went out into the streets and he realized that up into that region, that's Gentile territory. Right? And so you had some Jews that came to faith and you had some Gentiles that came to faith. Right? And the churches there started to grow. And he spent quite a bit of time there, several years. And he started and he planted churches there. And then he comes on back. And then he gets this very terrible news that there are some Christian missionaries from Judah. Now, Judah's south of Jerusalem, right? And so there's Jerusalem, there's Judah, and there's missionary Christians from down here that were Jews that went all the way up there and were trying to help the church as it was growing, but they were preaching a different kind of gospel. See, they didn't want their supporters back in Jerusalem to think that they were going soft on these Gentiles, right? They didn't want to lose their support. They didn't want to get the criticism. So what they were doing is they were telling these Gentiles, in order to be a Christian, you're not just saved by God's grace through faith and Jesus is Lord and Savior. You've got, you've got to be one of God's people first. You've got to be a Jew. And one of the ways that you could show that is you have to be circumcised, Right? You have to abide, and that's just the first. You've got to abide by the law, right? If you want to be a Christian, you'll be saved by God's grace through faith, but it's only for Jews. And so you have to be a Jew first. And that's what they were teaching. And they had some really good arguments, because what, what did they have? They had the Bible to point to, right? Because their New Testament was being written, hence this letter in the New Testament, right? They had the Old Testament, and they would go up and they could open up in the, in the book of Deuteronomy. They could say, listen, what does it say in the Bible? It says, if you're one of God's people, you need to be circumcised. It seemed like a pretty good argument. And then these other, these other uh, uh, missionaries that were up there, they would say things like this. Well, if God didn't intend to save you through the law, why did he give it? 
If the law's purpose isn't for righteousness, then what purpose is it? And these arguments made a lot of sense. And for these converts, these new young converts, and for the Jews that were up there who had just heard about Jesus, who Paul talked to, they were confused. They had Paul saying salvation is by God's grace through faith, and yet they also had these very thoughtful missionaries that were up there saying, no, you you can't just get rid of the Old Testament. And so they're, they're torn. And so they begin to require new converts to be circumcised. Let me tell you, that's hard for church growth. <laughs> right? That, that makes it difficult. It limits the message, but it also limits the freedom. And so Paul begins by reinstating the authority by which the message comes. This isn't a man-made story. The gospel isn't something that we just came up with because we were tired of the law. He says, the gospel is from God. He says, Paul, and he writes this, an apostle. Apostles one who was sent with authority, right? And in fact, there were, there's apostles, those who were sent with authority, right? And so they're, uh, they're kind of like uh, missionaries. They, they plow new ground. But then there's a capital A apostle, and those are the 12, right? And there's Paul, and there's, like an, there's a role in the church. And you had to be tutored under Jesus to be one of those. So there's not many of those left, right, on this earth. Right? There's like 12. Paul, an apostle, get this, sent not from men, nor by a man. Now, what were the, the people in Judah, what were they sent from? The churches by men. Who was Paul sent by? But Jesus Christ and God the Father himself. Do you see the difference? Who would you listen to? He's talking about he's got authority, and this is not a message from himself. He's bringing something from God directly to them. From God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, which, of course, would have been, you know, his, his uh, Barnabas and, and Titus would have been with him at that time, um, to the churches in Galatia. Now he's talking, this is how Roman letters begin. Who's writing and who's writing to? Okay? Paul's saying, listen, you, you need to listen to me. I actually have authority to talk on this particular issue because the message that I come from comes from the highest authority there is. Not from people. Okay? And I'm writing to you, all the churches in Galatia, that's big areas. The only letter of Paul's letters that's written to multiple churches, it's to a whole region that lets you know how widespread this problem was. In fact, it was so widespread that this very issue became the issue for the first church council of Jerusalem. <laughs> this was a big deal. And and I, I love this grace and peace to you from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom all glory be forever and ever. Amen. He reinstates the gospel. This is the message, right? Grace and peace to you. That's the message of faith. Faith isn't about labor and toil, worry and woe. The the message of God uh, from Christ brings grace. It brings peace. Now, Paul is ticked at these guys. He's really mad, right? You will get that in the very next portion, but, but what does he begin with? Grace, peace. That is the evidence of the gospel in our lives, isn't it? It's not this, this heart gut wrenching, you know, frustration or this debilitating guilt. 
That's not from God. The message from God the Father Himself, from Jesus Christ, brings grace and peace. And it comes from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, God at work, (laughs) came to us to rescue us from this present evil age. And this was fascinating when I was reading and studying this. I was like, you know, in this present evil age, I kind of get that. But, But why does he talk about, you know, these ages. What does this mean? Well, you know, at that, that time, um, the, the mindset was pretty much like there were two basic ages on earth. The one, the current one, the evil age, is what most people thought. That was the age where there was brokenness and, and they were being subjugated by governments and things like that and life was hard. And there's going to be a future age. A- and I kind of got that concept, but, uh, but one of the, the uh, commentaries I was reading kind of pointed something out that I had never seen before. He said, uh, watch this, to rescue us from the present evil age, that Jesus has already rescued us from this age. Right? Jesus came. We're no longer, if you're a Christian, you're not part of this wicked age anymore. You're part of the new age, the age to come, the age of perfection, the age of God's kingdom. Think how powerful that is. <laughs> He's like, we're not even part of this age anymore. We've been rescued from it. And that was the will of God. Right? We often think of the law as the will of God, and it is. But this, too, is the will of God, that we would be rescued from this by Jesus. And what does that result in? Well, obviously, glory to God forever. It's amazing. But the gospel comes from God. That's the point that we need to get from this, right? It's not man-made. We didn't just come up with this story. This is a message from God to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then this next thing, that the gospel of religion is man-made, right? Now, normally in a Roman letter, if you read all the other letters of Paul, there would be a section of thanksgiving that he would go into there. He would say, Paul, this thing, grace and peace to you. I am thankful, you know, for you, for something. And sometimes, you know, like if you're reading Colossians, he's stretching a little bit. You know, Corinthians, he's really stretching it a little bit, like thinking, man, I've really got to think of something to be thankful for. And he does. Galatians can't even think of something, right? He just, he doesn't even begin with that. He just starts off. He's like, you know, grace and peace to you, but let me tell you that I'm upset. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting, deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, right? It's like my mind is just blown. That's what he's saying. I can't believe it. I showed you the grace of Christ. I showed you how we fit in the Old Testament. We brought you to faith. God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And what is, have you done? You have turned away from it. You have added something to the gospel. Now remember, these missionaries that were from Judea, they, um, they weren't saying that Jesus wasn't Lord and Savior. They were saying salvation is by faith in Jesus plus obedience to the law, right? And that was enough to get Paul pretty riled up. He said, this is really no gospel at all. It's not good news. And you think about it, it makes sense. Jesus plus anything is not really great news. If I'm not saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, I'm saved by that plus perfect attendance at church. Now my life has got a whole lot more stress in it, doesn't it? Because I haven't been perfectly attended at church. I went on vacation. I mean, yeah, I went to church out there, but I wasn't here. 
And there are times that you're sick or things like that. I mean, what God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ plus a really great singing voice. God's grace through faith plus perfectly obeying the law. If we add anything to Jesus, Jesus plus anything is hard. It's not good news. That's not the way that God designed it. That's not the gospel. That's what they were teaching. Paul says, don't desert the faith. Don't add things to Jesus. God doesn't need your help. And he talks about this providently. Some people are throwing you into confusion about trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now here's where our, our message comes in. And here's what he says. It doesn't matter by what authority the person comes by. Remember where Paul's authority came from, where the gospel comes from? It comes from God. He says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than one that we preach to you, let them be eternally condemned. That's strong words, but think about this. What would happen in the Old Testament if uh, a person prophesied on behalf of God? They said, I am a prophet. I have a message from God. The Word of God has got rules for this. God tells us what to do with it. Okay, in Deuteronomy it says this. It says, you're supposed to test that person. Okay? And if what they says is true, then you know, begin to listen to it. But God says, even, you know, if they, even if they give a prophecy and it comes true, and they tell you to worship other gods, it says to murder that person because they are trying to seduce you away from the faith. And it says in Scripture that God is allowing that to happen to test your faith to see if you really love God. So this is not a new concept. This is a concept that, that we get from the beginning. But you also look at in the Old Testament. If you have a God that stands up and says, I'm a prophet from God, and then they tell you something and it's not really from God, and then it doesn't come through, what are you supposed to do with that person? And they murder them, right? When they murder them, they stone them to death, and they, they kill them. So, again, when you have a message from God, you had better be very careful with it, right? People are not to tamper with God's message. In fact, we find that in the back of Revelation. It says, if you add anything or subtract anything from this message, watch out. Okay? When you are dealing with the message from God, you are dealing with something powerful, something that's supposed to be kept pure. Where does the gospel come from again? God. It is no less prophecy, it is no less scripture than anything we read in the Old Testament. And Paul is saying, how dare anybody try to add or subtract anything from this? It doesn't matter who they are. He even thinks of some ridiculous concept. If I, or he says, Paul says, if I come back to you and I say, I changed my mind, he says, don't listen to me. Because <laughs> you shouldn't be listening to me anyhow. You should be listening to God, and that's where the message came from. How about an angel like Moroni? Hmm? What if an angel comes down and says, I've got golden plates for you, or hey, come meet with me in a cave, Muhammad? And I'm going to tell you some secrets. And, and now here's a different message. What are we supposed to do? God says, don't mess with this message. Paul says, don't mess with this message. The message is from God. Religion is from man. Jesus plus anything is bad news. Don't buy it. Don't touch the message. Now here's the good news about this. I don't know if you've... And we're going to, hopefully in the fall, I'm putting together, a, a, well, January, putting together a series on uh, comparative religion. So it's been fun. I've been doing a little bit of research on that already. It's been fun stuff.
But some fascinating things that I've been finding in this. A lot of these faiths that start with saying Jesus is good, but we're going to add to Jesus, we're going to add new books, add new ideas, things like this, uh, they become a lot of work. Do you know that Muslims spend tons of their time and effort and energy doing all kinds of things to earn God's favor, and then they never really have assurance that they have it? They're not anti-Jesus. They just don't believe he's God the Son. And they add things to Jesus' gospel, right? Or Mormons. Like Mormonism has got, they're really good people. Really, really good people. And they've got rules. Lots of rules about how you got to live, right? And if you don't have that, then watch out. Because you're not one of God's real people. When we add things to God's message, it's all about us being at work. God doesn't need our help in this, right? This is the most amazing thing. This is why the gospel is good news. Is that we're saved by God's grace through faith. It's not something we did. Like like Ryan read earlier today, the writing of Paul, it's not something we do. So no one has to boast about it. We don't get to heaven and have like a big old, I'm better than you party. It's this, that God is better than all of us. He's fantastic, and look what he has done for us. There is something better for us in this world than religion. Religion comes from man. Don't buy it. It's not from God. Now, last thing is, this is real simple. Don't accept counterfeits. The real gospel is from Jesus Christ. It's from God himself. Jesus plus or Jesus minus, right, is from men. That's religion. Don't buy it. So don't accept the counterfeits. He says, as I've already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than one which you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Don't buy the counterfeits. Now, most of us in our particular daily lives don't uh, struggle with, you know, it's like I'm walking down the street and say, oh, I'm going to be a, I'm going to convert to Islam today, right? I'm going to add something to Jesus. Or I'm going to be a Christian that also engages some new age into this so that way I can increase my light or whatever and I can be more godlike or whatever. I don't have that issue, but I tell you what I do struggle with. Throughout my day, because there is a righteousness that God tries to build in me, right? That's the faith, and it's supposed to be a living faith. I have this struggle. When does living faith become works righteousness? Do you struggle with that? Yeah, that's really where the, the difficulty is for most believers. Is we, we get into this trap where we think, man, I, I want to be alive in Christ. I want to trust in Jesus. But at some point, sometimes, I find myself doing things not because I am changed, but because I want to change. Uh, not because I'm loved by God, but because I want God to, to be more impressed with me or to love me better. And that's something that you can't just look at from the surface and say, you're, you're saying Jesus plus <laughs> right now but something that we can say in our hearts that we know. And this takes some introspection. It takes us to, to look and say, you know what? In my life, am I accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Am I letting God do the work in that portion of my life? Am I letting God save me and change me? Right? And out of that, is what I'm doing, is that an outworking of, of what I have? Is it just a natural flow from the new person that God has made me? Or am I doing all of these things, striving and striving to become the person I think God wants me to become? Because if you're doing the second, then in your own heart, you're struggling with that, that issue of adding something to Jesus. And Paul says, don't buy the counterfeit. 
there's so much more joy for you in the faith than that. And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Paul addresses those issues. What about the law? Why did God give it? How It is good. So how does that look in your life? What about righteousness? God did save us for righteousness. But how do we live with that? How do we know that we're walking in righteousness but not in works? It's a phenomenal thing. I encourage you to come to the rest of the series as we go through and answer those, those powerful questions. But today, as I ask the worship team to come up and we bring this part to a close, um, I'm going to ask you to pull out your, your green cards. And I'm going to ask you... Uh, to make some commitments or to think about how do you apply this in your life. And one of the first things that I think maybe we can do is to memorize that verse that we got in Galatians. Take that, just, just commit, say, you know, on the back of your card, you can even let me know because I'll pray for you this week as you are committing to that. But you say, you know what, I'm going I'm to memorize that verse in Galatians because it's not so much that I'm worried about, you know, getting sucked into a cave and having some strange angel give me strange visions. That's not maybe what you're struggling with, but maybe it's in your own life. You need to be reminded that God loves you and he saved you. And that God accepts you today for who you are. And God loves you now. He loves you. Maybe that's the verse that you need to have. And for all those voices in this world that tell you you're not good enough, that you've got to buy this deodorant for people to like you, for you to be a better person, and you've got to drive this sports car, or you've got to have these things, you've got a powerful verse in your pocket that says, no, I've got the good news. God loves me today. Maybe it's memorizing that verse is what you need. <laughs> I would encourage you also, if you want to, read the book of Galatians, read the whole thing. You get to see, it's not terribly long. It was a letter that was written on papyrus, so Paul kept it short, you know. But, you know, read it. Read his whole message. Because we're going to be preaching through it. And and as you do, see what God has to say about this liberty, about this freedom, about this hope, about this new life in the spirit that we have that just can't be explained uh, by religion. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's to attend the next six weeks as we go through that, to commit to that. Say, you know what, this is a message that can help me walk in this new freedom. I need God at work in my life. Now, maybe that's what you need to commit to. Or maybe it's this. Maybe you'd invite a friend to study uh, this, this book with you or to come to church uh, through this series. You know, this is, this is a series of hope. It's, just, it's the gospel. And if you have a friend that has maybe struggled with religion or difficult time with God or is in, you know, is in one of those places where they just need to know some good news, this is an awesome series to invite them to. Maybe this is the time as a tool to help you, to say you've got six weeks. If there's somebody that you can invite that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus did it, that God is at work for them too. So make your commitments. If you have any prayer requests, please write those down. We'll be praying for you this week. That would be phenomenal. Um, and then drop these in the offering. I'm going to take the offering up in just a minute. I'm going to pray for both. And so um, uh, as we do, just drop this along with your offering into the baskets. And uh, then this week... I want you to know you'll be prayed for as uh, God does some work in your life. So uh, let's pray for for this offering as well as as our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, he paid it all. And uh, what Jesus did was, was complete. And that you don't need our help in securing our salvation. You don't need our help in giving us a new birth. That you don't need our help... Father, in, in, uh, and, and making us a new people, for rescuing us from this present age. You've got that all under control, Lord, and, and we thank you that you are a God that is capable to do that. Even when we didn't deserve it, uh, Christ came to this earth 
to live a perfect and a sinless life, to die on a cross on our behalf so we wouldn't have to die to save us from our sins, Lord. And uh, we, we confess that there are times that we try to add to that. And it's ridiculous that we could try to add to that. That our good works could somehow improve upon what Jesus did for us. Thank you. Thank you for sending us, Jesus. This week, Lord, I pray for our people. We're exhausted. We're a tired people. But I thank you that you're at work in our lives still. That you don't grow tired. And Father, I pray through this series and through this book and through this time and through this fellowship, Father, that you would build us up according to each of our needs to do the work that you have called us to do in the future. But Father, I thank you that you're the one that really does it through us anyhow. And Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, if there's anybody here that struggles with you, who doesn't know you, or has trying to add to what Christ has done in their life, that you would free them from that, and the message of your gospel would be truly good news to them. But for all of us today, Father, I pray that that message of hope and healing and perfection that comes through Christ would be ours, and we would take it, because that's what you designed it to be, a free gift. So we receive it, and we say thank you. Now, Father, uh, help us to share that gift with others. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.